Welcome to another episode of Makers Weekly. My name is Dan Parsons. I am your host. In this episode, I talk with Darren Chait at Hugo's headquarters in San Francisco, California. In this episode, Darren and I talk all things collaboration. We jam on product analytics, pricing strategies, and the importance of storytelling. All the makers out there are going to love this episode. So without further ado, let's welcome Darren to the show. All right, Darren, thanks so much. Um, really glad to have you here on the show. Great to, great to be here. Good to meet you, Dan. So you have an interesting accent, so <laughs> maybe we'd love to hear learn a little bit more about that, if you don't mind telling, yeah, telling us sure. where you're from. My uh, Californian accent's really got a lot of work to do. Um, I'm originally from Sydney, Australia, so I've been here in the Bay Area for about three years. Um, do my best to lose the accent and and, and talk like a local. <laughs> nice. Well, you're not fooling anyone. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so we were talking previously, and I know you moved out here for Hugo. That's right. Um, but before we jump into kind of the founding story, we'd love to learn a little bit more about your background and maybe what inspired you to to jump into entrepreneurship? Yeah, sure, totally. Um, so I, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. I've spent my whole life there and uh, I've always had that bug. And you know, you hear this from a lot of people you talk to, right? But uh, for me, right through high school and college, I had a mobile DJ business with a close buddy. We did like a thousand weddings or something insane, like every week. I mean, our parents would be like driving us to these parties because we weren't even old enough to drive. Um, and I just love the idea of building value out of nothing. Like it's so crazy that you can have a business worth substantial amounts of money with nothing um, behind it a lot of the time. And then that was such a foreign concept and always sort of excited me, um, the idea of building business. And uh, I finished high school, went to college. And in Australia, we actually do typically only really do undergrads. So you can study like medicine or law, in my case, right out of high school, which is, which is crazy. So out of high school, I just signed up for law school because a few of my friends were doing it. Ended up finishing law school, took a job at a law firm. Fast forward like three and a bit years, I was like, hang on, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm so excited about building business and 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 what I was talking about a moment ago. And here I am working crazy hours in a suit, you know, on level whatever 60 of this corporate building, just billing my time in six minute increments. Um, and I, there, I mean, there were so many pain points, you know, talk about that, the inspiration to start a business. I could name like 50 different things that drove me crazy. But number one was meetings. Uh, it made no sense. Like there was so much changing about the way we work. Meetings hadn't changed one bit. Mm. I, th- I think that's a theme. There's a lot of people that talk about meetings, and I still don't think people have quite figured it out um, because it's it's like there's ne- the necessary evil where some meetings are, I think, required. Like you do have to sit Hopefully. down. You got to get everyone oh, in a yeah. room. Sometimes you got to hash it out. However, I've also been in those meetings where you're looking around and there's ten people. <laughs> And like no value is being created. Like that's an expensive like exactly. hour. Exactly. And you know it's funny, like being a lawyer where you bill your time, you can literally see on an invoice the cost of every meeting. So you'd walk out instead of going, Oh my god, that was a waste of time. You're like, man, was that really worth three and a half grand? Um, that conversation. So it was like in my face. Unfortunately, I've been on the other end of those invoices. <laughs> you paid them exactly. Um, you know, so I can like... appreciate that uh, very, very much. Um all right, so you have you have this beef with meetings, yep, and you know you're you're trying to figure out what how to make them more efficient, like how to get rid of them, or like what yeah. was the initial like 
problem you were trying to solve? Sure. So a lot was changing about the way we work. Remote was starting and, you know, to, to rear its head. And now that's obviously normal. Um, the explosion of SaaS was happening. We were using so many different tools. Uh, teams were decentralizing, becoming flatter. All these, you know, normal trends that are so obvious to you and I and everyone else today. Um, and meetings hadn't changed. So we were, we were trying to look at how do we extract more value out of meetings. And we actually went about it in a completely different way. Um, we were really excited about AI and, and, and natural language processing and what comes with that. Um, so we built a, a mobile app that would brief you on your meetings and be like, hey, you're meeting Dan in 20 minutes. Here's a bit of a summary on him and what you need to know. And this was the first like flavor of what eventually became Hugo. Exactly. Got exactly. It. And when you when you started with that initial project, were you thinking like, hey, this is an MVP, or like some people that aren't that don't know about lean startup world, or that like go into entrepreneurship just full steam ahead? So I used to be in a uh, app consulting business. We build yeah. apps for people like that all the time. Yeah. So I was, I'm just curious, like, were you saying, hey, we want to test this concept, or out of the gate, were you just like, all right, we are building this product in this full-blown company. Yep, exactly. Okay. Mistake number one. <laughs> uh, yeah, we went full steam ahead. Big team, um, very tech heavy. So we were doing some really cool stuff with na- uh, natural language processing and entity recognition and disambiguation and like really heavy, cool stuff um, as it was a few years ago anyway. And uh, trying to solve this problem and you know, really, is it such a problem? Um, and even if it is such a problem, are people willing to pay for it? Mm. Who's willing to pay for it? And we ended up in this weird space where we're sort of a, a, a product for business, for consumers, you know, sitting somewhere in between, Re- really dangerous area to be in. Um, learned a bunch, but while we, while we were doing that, um, you know, we had a little bit of capital and, 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 and we're running full steam ahead. And this big divide started forming between my co-founder and I and the rest of our team. Mm. We were out all day doing the right things as far as talking to customers, partners, investors, learning more about our space, and the team would like completely disconnected from it. Um, we'd come back and say, "Man, I spoke to ten people today. I think this is the best insight. Here's what we should do next with the product. Um, I think this is an interesting opportunity for an integration." But the team just couldn't couldn't understand it. Mm. Um, so, trying to keep things together, we built a Slack app for ourselves um, that integrated with our calendars and would ping us every time we had a meeting. So, we'd just you know Google OAuth from from. The Google Calendar API initially saying, "Hey, I can see you met Dan. What happened?" And I'll just reply to the Slack bot saying, "Great conversation with Dan. Here's all my notes," and it would automatically share it with the relevant people in the team. Got so, it. Yeah. So we'd come back, and everyone's like, "It's as if everyone was never in meeting. Everyone was completely aligned and on the same page, literally overnight." Um, and then one thing led to another, right? The next thing we realized that engineers don't want, uh, you know, actions from meetings in bullet points in Slack. They want jury issues. And our marketers like managing their their marketing priorities in Asana. So we built a, a jury integration and Asana integration. And before you knew, before you know it, this is how we were operating as a business. It had completely transformed us. And anecdotally, talking about it with customers, everyone was more excited about what we were doing internally than the mobile app that we were selling. So. So the problem you were trying to solve was actually a team, an internal collaboration problem, or just like how do we keep, you know, the engineers that are at the office, how do we keep them excited, informed? How do we build transparency with what you guys were doing, running around trying to build the business? Exactly, and capture all this amazing knowledge and decisions that were being made in meetings that were just going nowhere. So democratize the learnings. I mean, I can see a lot of benefits. Um, And was it called? 
Like, is, is this was this called Hugo at the time? Yeah. Okay, so you guys, the first app yeah. you built, you guys came out of the gate with Hugo. We did. Kept right. the name, but that's about all that <laughs> remained. So now I have to ask, what's Hugo? What's like, Hugo? What, is that, what does that mean? Yeah. And then let's let's talk about what the current product is. Sure. So Hugo uh, is a human's name, obviously, uh, a male name that we went with because we were Hugo.ai initially. So, you know, that lesson number one that I mentioned a minute ago, going really heavy, fully fledged uh, tech first as opposed to problem first meant that AI was really core to what we were doing. We thought a person's name is great for for an AI product, an assistant, etc. We learn a lot about the hype cycle of AI and AI being another tool like everything else we use, not necessarily being a business necessarily. Um, so Hugo is my co-founder's great-grandfather's name. He's got an amazing story of sort of survival and the war and whatever else, and it just meant something to us. But really, the impetus was that 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 person's name with the AI, and we kind of liked it, so kept the name and and and, and pivoted everything else. Nice. Um, and then, do you mind telling us what Hugo is in its current form? Yeah, sure. So Hugo is connected meeting notes software. So that means centralized searchable meeting notes connected to your team and your tools. Um, so everyone takes meeting notes in Hugo. It's based on your calendar. Um, and we make those notes shareable with the rest of the team who weren't in the room and actionable in the rest of your stack. So 20, 20 different integrations to push all your meeting insights and actions out to. So do do they take notes um, like in the the connected apps or do they take notes in a centralized app that they take it in a Hugo app web That's app? Right. Yeah, that's okay. exactly. We have a Hugo web app. Um, you, your calendar or your calendar data is brought into that. You take your notes in our app. We've got a custom built note editor that's made for meeting notes. Okay, and from there, um, I can push out everything that needs to ha- needs to go out to the rest of the business, and it's all organized. Um, something really fundamental to Hugo is it's based on your calendar. So when I want to find the last time that I've I've met someone at, at this company or this person or on that project, it's all automatically organized and stored relationally based on the people I've met. Mm. That's that feature in itself is awesome. So I use Notion for yep. for my personal notes, um, and I looked like through and through to try to find some sort of calendar integration with Notion, yeah. where it would effectively like tee up a note ahead of time. Because like half the time you want to take the note and then you're like, you know, you're you're dicking around trying to find, like, you know, whatever you're trying to find the, the, what where you're in, who's there, what's it like, you know, what exactly. am I doing? Um, got it. And then does so can other people that are in the same meeting like all work off the same yep. session, same yep. note? Exactly, Google Docs style collaboration. And it's funny like that, you know, that's actually technically quite complicated, but it's table stakes, right? That's what we expect that now. 2019, yeah. collaboration software, obviously we can both edit the same note. Um, and it's one it's a good example of one of those features that you have to spend a lot of time working on um, for not much credit in the market. Yeah. So, all right. So everyone's jamming on the same note, and then when it's done, you can disseminate that into a bunch of different actions. Exactly. So I can push it into Asana, push yep. it into Trello. Yep. Okay. Sync with my CRM, share insights out via Slack, um, even even connect the call recording and transcript transcript from Zoom uh, okay. if I wanted to as well. Very cool. Uh, um, so let's talk a little bit about the the iteration cycle. Yeah. So I'm. Obviously, early days. Um, you know, you're shipping products, you're getting feedback. Like, how do you guys think about feedback? Like, everyone has an opinion. How do you guys, you know, triage what's most important? How do you manage priorities and the roadmap? Maybe talk a little Brilliant. bit about that. 
Yeah, so we think about that in a funnel. So the first thing we need to do is capture it. It's actually having that. Um, we we definitely subscribe to the conversational marketing, you know, way of doing things. Like Drift have made that famous. Um, we use Intercom internally, um, but it's uh, ha- maintaining uh, the, that communication and, and having the live conversation is so important. And without that, it doesn't matter how you're organizing, prioritizing. So that's been really fundamental. Um, we've had live chat in our app since day one. Um, we, we elevate it. We talk about it all the time. Um, a lot of our email drip campaigns um, ask for a reply. Why did you sign up? What happened? What's going on here? Can I help with that? It always drives great conversation. So that, that's number one. Then you end up with all this unstructured stuff, right? Piles of emails and chat and things like that. Um, so we need to organize it. Um, we use product board for that. Um, okay. And uh, there's an intercom integration and you know, just a way of tagging and organizing it so it's all there. So that that's the sort of easy bit around capturing it and and organizing it. But turning that into features and making decisions has, has always been really difficult. Um, as, you, as you know, as a product guy, it's it's probably high up there on the, on the list of challenges. Um, and for us, I think it's uh, that's where we cross the line between vision of what we want to build as founders um, and what's going to translate into business metrics. So we know as a company, we care at the moment, we care about daily active users and revenue. So um, we also have a vision for where we want to take Hugo and the, you know, the grand plans for, 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 for our category we're creating. So those two together in, in different weightings um, is how we look through the list and make a decision. So is you know this particular feature going to move the needle on daily active users and revenue? Um, to what degree? And is it is it consistent with the vision of where we want to take the product? Um, and that's sort of the, the the easy you know yardstick, the benchmark that we can throw everything up against um, and and prioritize. Great. So let's go a little bit deeper on those two metrics. So those mm-hmm. are what a lot of companies would call like their north star metrics, exactly. right? Revenue, daily active users. Mm-hmm. Um, as you think about Understanding impact, like you know, what kind of tools are you using as it relates to, to product analytics, um, and then you know, from a revenue perspective, what tools are you using just to kind of manage the business? Sure. Um, so we uh, we're, we're very much a data cultured business. That's my personality. I love having as much as I can at our fingertips in that in that sense. Um, so our stack, what we did was we put in implemented segment pretty early on. Um, that's been really game changing for us. It's a great product, but the reason segment is so effective is there's one bit of engineering work that needs to be done, and then it's yours as a as a product or non technical person. Um, I can go and turn on any downstream services. So one day when I want to send my segment data to um, you know an NPS product um, like Ask Nicely or Delighted or one of them, it's connected. The next day when I want to switch from Mixpanel to Heap Analytics, it's there. So what we're using at the moment um, for analytics is Pendo. Um, Pendo is a, a pretty decent um, analytics product, but they've also got a few other nice things wrapped up, um, NPS and, and onboarding tutorials and the bundled sort of thing made sense for us. Um, Google Analytics um, for looking at web traffic, source, referrer, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then Char- Chart.io or Chart.io as some people call it. Um, the reason I like that is, again, come from a non-technical background. If I want to query like database data or you know data warehouse, I'm not, not a SQL natural, and it's a really nice visual way to build pretty complicated SQL queries. So just to, I don't know if everyone, all the listeners will know what segment is. Mm-hmm. So just for everyone out there, so segment is a 
it's basically a, uh, a they call it a data bus and it's an event bus. So you can you can basically choose what events are important to your business. There are some that it will capture automatically. An example of event would be a button click, yep. um, or your server could fire off some event, a registration event, or a in your case maybe a meeting note was created or mm-hmm. anything that's exactly. important to you. Um, and what they're saying is great about using Segment is then you can plug it into all these analytics tools. So if you're using a mixed panel um, or a chart I/O, it's really easy to just like pump it into that the totally. UI. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more about Pendo and yeah. the use case that you have there? Sure. So there's there's three different use cases that Pendo helps us with. Um, one is regular product analytics. So product analytics to for us means what pages are people viewing, uh, what are they clicking in what order. Uh, funnels, so that might be uh, looking at onboarding. How many people sign up for Hugo and then actually go and write their first meeting note or set an agenda, and what are they doing between? So that that that's sort of uh, again table stakes. What you need to do as a good product person. Um, the next thing they do is um, tutorials. Uh, they call them guides. So and there's some great products out there as well that do that, like AppQs and. and Others like that too, um, but that's your tool tips and pop ups and like, hey Dan, welcome back. Hey, uh, welcome to Hugo. Look here, click there, try this, etc. Um, so and and that's all bundled in there. And then they do um, surveys and NPS and that built in there too. Um, and we use that quite a lot, not just for your net promoter score when I say NPS, um, but also asking you for questions, for feedback, um, you, popping up when you do a particular action saying, hey, this is a new feature you just used, can you tell, give us two sentences on why? Um, hey, I've seen you've grown your team to 10 people, I'd love to send you a, a physical starter pack in the mail, shoot me your address and I'll send it over, those sorts of things. And it's all nicely bundled, so just less software to, to stay on top of um, if, as opposed to using three different tools for that. Mm. Very cool. Um, so we've touched on the product a little bit, and um, now that you you have something, you think people like it. Like, how are you thinking about like product market fit, or what's the success criteria for you? Like, as you think about growth rates, like what are the indicators that you look for to make sure you guys are building what's meaningful? Totally. Um, product market fit is such an interesting concept, and even before I entered the startup world, it's something I was familiar with. It's the textbook way of knowing whether you've got something, but it's so subjective. Um, you know, it. it uh, you know, I feel like it's when I started dating my now wife. You know, and, and your friends like, so do, do you like her? I'm like, yeah. So you know, like it, it's not. Uh, it, it, there's no. There's no. There's no obviously line that's crossed. But it's the most important metric for success, apparently. So how do we not define it? Um, so something that we subscribed to, which I really liked, um, was an article written by um, uh, Rahul Vara from Superhuman recently. Um, they, he defined a survey or like questions you can ask to, to assess product market fit. Um, and in essence, and I'm going to do a terrible job of paraphrasing, but in essence, you're, you're asking questions around, you know, how upset would you be? Um, how how disruptive would it be if this product was no longer available? Um, and what would you do? And that's the insightful one. So Hugo is no longer available today, right? Um, you know, is, is that going to be very disruptive? How upsetting would that be for you? But do you then go and look for an alternative, or do you just revert back to your? Your, your behavior before, which might be doing nothing or using a workaround. And that says it all right, because if we've created this pain that's deep enough where we're going to really screw things up for you and really piss you off by disappearing, and then you can't go on without trying to find a competitor or another product to do it, that's how we know we've got fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ask questions like that um, to, to our users, to our customers um, from time to time. I think that's one. 
Um, and the second thing is the daily active user North Star. Um, daily active users are really is a really difficult, like high bar to hit, right? For for a piece of software in 2019. But the workflow where, uh, for Hugo users means you are using Hugo almost every day. So if we want to be your meeting solution, that what you're using for every meeting to set an agenda, to collaborate on notes, how can we say that we've achieved product market fit if you're only popping in there once a week? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the North Star metrics for us are really married up to what product market fit would look like in reality. Yeah, so daily active usage really speaks to the retention and the stickiness um, that you need to build a foundation of a business that can scale. And then obviously revenue is saying, are people willing to pay for it? Exactly, exactly. Um, so speaking of getting people to pay for it, um, how did you guys think about pricing? Like how did you come out and is there like a freemium option? Is it like enterprise software? Do you have 12-month contracts? Like how did you guys approach the market? What have you learned? Yeah, um, so pricing is one of the most difficult things we've come up against, um, and there's some great content out there. Patrick Campbell from Profit Well has, you know, been a real, uh, uh, he, he, a real sort of inspiration here. He's he's a real expert on SaaS pricing. You should check out his blog um, and and podcast. But um, what we did initially was we thought we had a grasp on pricing um, with a few conversations and sort of superficial research, um, and we just did what everyone else did and went out with a free trial. So we said, cool, Hugo's free for 30 days and then you pay. And what started to happen was we were putting these time constraints on the adoption of Hugo um, that didn't match the way people were working. So for example, you would go and sign up for Hugo, you'd go on vacation for a week, you'd come back and um, meant to talk to someone about it, you'd save a few notes um, and then you'd have a meeting the following week to go and you know bring your team on board and then your trial was up. And then we couldn't upgrade you. So, um, you know, th- those sorts of behaviors, it didn't make sense for us. Um, it was, the, the level of time wasn't, wasn't appropriate. We're trying to create a new habit, a new workflow, and we're putting this arbitrary 14, 21, or 30 day deadline on you changing your workflow. Um, so we switched to freemium. So, again, with freemium, we went and asked everyone, you know, standard pricing survey, showed a few versions of the pricing page and thought it made sense to go free for five seats and then charge for six plus seats. And what happened then was that worked and you know a bunch of teams converted to paying and we thought we were onto something. Um, and we ended up with all these teams sitting around five. Um, so free. And that's normal, right? You, there's all sorts of good ratios out there of free to paying when you've got freemium products. Uh, but we had these teams that had a really high willingness to grow, but especially in slightly larger companies, they just weren't doing it because the overhead of going to get approval, getting in a credit card or ticking over from five to six was a big was a big jump. Um, so we wanted to test the assumption that Hugo could scale horizontally. And we did something a little crazy, um, which is we increased the five to 40, four zero. So Hugo today is free for teams of up to 40. And literally overnight, we more than doubled our active user base, uh, literally overnight um, by changing that. Did you double your revenue? <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. It actually cost us money because a bunch of in, in the very short term okay. because a bunch of teams that were paying would now go Hugo for free. Oh, okay. So you you gave so you oh I got you. So anyone that was six to forty. Yep. Basically we said good news, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the end, the money at this stage of business isn't that significant, and they're going to see it on our pricing page, and we just did the right thing by them. Um, so it cost us money in the short term, doubled our active user base. Then, of course, we recover with revenue because 
there's more teams that tick over from 40 to 41. Because when you're sitting between six and 40 seats, you've got your habit created, you're, you're, you're engaged, you've, you've creating hundreds or thousands of agendas and notes, you're on board and it's a no brainer to pay money to and, and grow from there. But that five was too low. Um, so that was the lesson for us. Um, the trying to get, in out, get into the head of like the state of mind of where we want users to be when, when they need to start paying. That, that's the new way of thinking about it. What should they have experienced? How much time should have elapsed? What should they be able to see, feel, think about the product? Um, that's when we want them to start paying and then let's reverse engineer that into whatever the lever is, seats, notes, time, etc. Yeah, I think a good anecdote there is um, for our listeners that haven't done <clears throat> like even mid-market or enterprise sales, like the procurement process can be a real pain in the ass. So, you know, just for a team of five or a team of six to go out, one, get approvals from the budget, two, go through IT and that whole that whole infosec process yep. um, is tough. But if you have a team of 35 and it's really ingrained in the culture and people are using it, and now another team of 10 wants to adopt it, it's a, it's a much different conversation. It's like, this is something that we can justify an investment because we have a decent cohort of people already using it. And also, if, if you want someone to go pay, um, you know, a decent amount of a decent amount of revenue for a SaaS product, it's like they're probably better suited to to pay for that product if they have over forty employees. Exactly, that, that, and that's that's exactly it, the lesson we learned. So then, let's talk a little bit about your your target customer. Like, yeah. where do you guys think about you know your position in the marketplace? Sure. Um, so we're focused SMB mid market, um, sort of twenty to. Hundred to speak generally, um, and the reason is because uh, that the problem exists at that point. Um, that's where you're starting to to run into the ch- the challenges we're solving. Uh, but it's before you're actually dealing with the um, the enterprise overhead of infosec, information security, com- too much compliance and security and things like that. Um, so that that's a sweet spot for us. I think ultimately there's no reason why we shouldn't move up market, um, but that's where we're looking today. And then is it? What is your distribution model as it relates to adoption within an organization? Is yep. it do you go in and sell into teams, or is it more like a land and expand where it's bottoms up, where a, one user starts it and then it, you see it kind of grow throughout the org? Exactly. So culturally, it's funny. My co-founder and I—we've never been big salespeople. Um, we we really wanted to build a marketing-led organization, um, self-serve, bottoms up, whatever. Buzzwords that everyone loves that we can use there. Um, so, and that's how we built Hugo. So, we'll enter. Um, you'll f- you'll find out about Hugo through a few ways. We'll talk about soon. But um, no one's reached out to you. Um, you like this sounds kind of cool. I have this pain. Oh, it's free. Let me check it out. Sign up for an account. Um, and what we're going to do from there as well is we're going to start prompting you to grow your team horizontally. So, we'll typically enter through one function that might be customer success or product or um, chief of staff, someone like that. Um, and we're going to give them reasons every day to grow um, and go wide um, until we've got 90 plus percent of the headcount on Hugo. Mm. And then how do you guys think about uh, customer acquisition? Like how does, that, how does that first person in the organization learn about Hugo? Yeah, um, this is you know, lesson number two um, <laughs> as far as the big mistakes. You know, I actually saw a really good tweet the other day, and I can't remember who tweeted it. So sorry, whoever I'm plagiarizing, but they say first-time founders, and you, you might experience this in you're a multiple-time founder now. But first-time founders care, care about product. Second-time founders care about distribution first, um, and that's definitely our mistake, right? Um, so we, you know, 
the, the old Paul Graham uh, quote of uh, build great products and people will come doesn't doesn't apply. That that is completely not true. He's a very smart guy, but it's not relevant in 2019. <laughs> um, so um, we 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 didn't think about that much until more recently, and now we're realizing that even a great product that solves a real problem is is actually can be quite complicated to get into the right people's hands. On top of that, we're not we're solving a new problem that you've got, but you don't know you have in this way. You're not looking for media note software. You didn't know you needed something specialized. So we have the whole category creation problem laid on top of it. So what that means is we have to go after channels for for customer acquisition that uh, that allow us to educate you on your problem. So things where thought leadership's wrapped in, um, where we have longer opportunities to talk to you, not necessarily just. Google AdWords or things like that. Um, so content marketing, conferences, events, like these sorts of things allow us to go and tell you a story. Like, hey, let, you know, did you know that this is a big problem? Did you know this opportunity exists? Have you ever thought about SaaS through this lens? Um, and, and that more organic way allows us to paint the picture to create the problem that Hugo is then well positioned to solve. What is that story? Like, what is the, if you had to paint that picture, like, how do you articulate the beauty of Hugo with a, you know, a simple journey or a simple user story? Yeah, sure. Good question. Um, today, the, mo- the, 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 probably the strongest story for us is the way we're working, the way we're working has changed so much. Um, you know, the numbers are, the numbers are crazy, but, you know, 70, 75% um, of millennial led teams are remote. Um, more than 90% of founders support it. Um, you know, we're, we're now distributed all over the world. Um, we've, we're now in this post SaaS explosion era. So the average company is using 128 different SaaS tools, average mid market company. Um, what that's led to is, yeah, it was, yeah <laughs> it's insane, right? So the data <laughs> fragmentation um, of that coupled with the people fragmentation of remote teams leaves us in, in this, me- in this mess today. Um, and, that's um, the way we work has changed so much, but nothing's changed about the way we meet. Um, so we, we love talking about how meetings actually ha- are this untapped opportunity. It's the final frontier of collaboration that no one's gone after yet. Um, everything else is really well served. There's some really amazing products out there, but other than video conferencing, which just changes the forum, we still need to be in the same room to uh, to, to to benefit from this conversation. All this amazing, expensive decisions, uh, discussion, and knowledge that we're generating together um, is is worth so much to the organization. And as soon as we walk out the room, dissipates into thin air, um, and it's completely disconnected from from the rest of our stack. Um, we're using all these tools. We have all the, all these solutions for knowledge management, and none of that comes into this room. So that's that's the problem we're solving, and and connected meeting notes in our view is how we're going to do that. It's the ideal meeting workflow for 2019 companies that are using SaaS tools that are remote that are working in this way. It's interesting. It almost goes back to the genesis of like you guys out at the beginning doing meetings with the team back in the office, and just being able to have that you know that collaboration across across the team. Totally, exactly. Um, so let's talk about the team a little bit. What's what's the current lineup? What do you guys look like? Yeah, so there's there's eight of us. Um, we're about half engineering um, and then half product marketing design, wearing every other hat essentially. Um, and the team is part here in the Bay Area and, and part remote um, across the US and in Brazil um, as well. Sweet. Um, and I'm assuming you guys eat your own dog food. Oh yeah. Totally, we, we and I guess we really do because we built it for ourselves to solve this problem. But we're, we're you know we we're definitely a bunch of generalists, obviously with with engineering skills. But uh, we 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 do everything. We wear lots of hats, um, and we we operate in the way we we preach: idea meritocracy, sharing information widely, these sorts of things. 
Um, let's talk a little about competitions. So you're in the collaboration space. That's pretty hot right now, which yep. can be good and also be challenging. Um, so how do you guys view competition with all the other collaboration tools out there? And like, where do you find you know, your wedge in the, in the market? Yeah, um, we're big believers in jobs to be done. Um, way of uh, framework, way of thinking. That's Clay Christensen's book. Um, I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with that. It's worth a quick read, and there's some pretty good blog posts out there to save time. Um, but we think about what what is our job to be done. Um, what job are we doing as a as a company? What are people hiring us to do? Um, and what that means is uh, typically our competition are. Uh, Generic workarounds um, to to the job we're doing, which is taking, storing, centralizing, organizing media notes, disseminating them, and and turning them into actions in your tools. So Google Docs or Evernote or these sort of generic generic tools end up being our competition today. Um, we have a lot going for us from on a feature by feature basis, but it's only because we are specialized in media notes. So. We will win if you put us up against the competition if you're trying to solve the problem for meetings. But if you don't accept that premise that you need a specific solution, then it's really difficult. So the competition yeah, question is always is, is always a little complicated there. Um, if I explain to you the value of, of centralized searchable meeting notes, um, there's not a lot of competition. But if I'm asking about how you take notes today, there's so much competition. So are you thinking about, are you like picking off Evernote users, or like, what gap? Where's the gap that, like, if we were to think about, you know, Evernote, and then like you have like Notion and Coda, like Mm -hmm. a lot of just like you know general documentation tools. Like, how do you guys, like, can you can you live alongside those tools? Are you thinking like we integrate with those tools, or is that is that the the narrative? Um, We don't integrate with any of the note taking tools today, um, other than Confluence and a a few other places that you can sync your notes out to, and we've got a Zapier integration, so technically you could. Um, But Hugo is for the whole company. So we're yet to come across a company where everyone takes notes as a company and stores them centrally using Evernote, for example. So it's not really a problem to come up against Evernote. We're walking to companies saying, hey, you you use Evernote um, and you use Google Docs and you use Apple Notes. You guys are missing out on a big opportunity here because all this insight can be centralized and organized. um, And that's why the whole company should be using Hugo. Got it. So the it's like Slack. It's like exactly. we're coming in and we're the goal the va- the real value add is to be the the central source of truth for how people use meetings. Exactly. Very cool. Um, all right. Well, I think we've covered a lot. I think there's a ton of good anecdotes out here for for all the makers listening. Um, so where can people find you? Sure. Online. Hugo.team um, is our domain. Um, and uh, yeah, you can check out our website, learn more about Hugo there. Um, we're also putting out a book actually uh, in a couple of weeks. It's called 10X Culture. Okay. Um, Hugo.team forward slash 10X takes you to Amazon. Um, and that's essentially summarizing all the stories that we've heard from our customers, the partners we work with, like Atlassian and Zoom and others, um, about what really amazing teams are doing um, to build that great culture and, and move. Ten times faster than everyone else. Um, so that's uh, that's a great read. Sort of sharing what we've learned um, and if, for the for for people trying to build great teams and work in great teams. That's great. We'll definitely uh, we'll plug that in the meeting notes. Um, all right, Dan, we really appreciate the time and uh, sharing a little bit of your wisdom here. Um, so until next time. Likewise, thanks, Dan. Yeah.